Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, October 6th, 2016. Fascinating episode today. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which... Help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage today of crazy things being said about God, and we take the time to open up God's Word. Yeah, you've heard of that thing called a Bible? Yeah, we open it up, turn it on, we check in context using good exegesis, sound biblical hermeneutics to test and see what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles, and apostolettes. Yeah, there are no apostles today. And those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those who we need to be listening to, whose, you know, books we need to be buying, and whose small group curriculum we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, that's how that usually plays out. And over and again, we demonstrate that what's being taught out there today, it's, it's not biblical doctrine. It's not what Christ has taught his disciples. It's not even revealed in the Word of God. It's a bunch of malarkey invented by human beings. It's man-made doctrines um, by those who are teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach, stuff like that. So let's talk about what it is we're going to be doing on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Like I said, fascinating uh, program today. Practically everything is like within the realm of the charismatic Pentecostal NAR. It's, it's, it's kind of like uh, a charismatic Pentecostal NAR frappuccino. Just you know, just stick it all in there and you know, hit the frappy button. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so let's talk about what we're going to start off with. We're going to begin with Havala Cunnington. I don't think I've covered much of this person, um, and I may have covered her maybe once or twice in the past, but uh, we're going to be covering something she said recently at Bethel Church in uh, Redding, California. And it's about believing God, but what we're believing God for (laughs) doesn't make any biblical sense. And uh, then we're going to tune in again to Sid Roth's It's Supernatural. 
as we listen to Billy Brim explain how God, through a direct revelation, made it clear that she can actually preach and teach, despite the fact that God the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul and made it clear that what he was saying was a command from the Lord, that women are not to preach and teach and exercise authority over men. It's the weirdest thing, you know. And uh, and then we're going to do a little blast to the past. Um, one of the forefathers of many of the people in the NAR and and the Word of Faith, you know, heresy uh, is Kenneth Hagin. And we're going to go back in time and we're going to listen to Kenneth Hagin, um, you know, teaching that apparently, you know, healing is uh, covered in the atonement. And we'll take a look at the uh, the biblical text that he's twisting to do that and note that what he's doing is actually twisting God's word and no Physical healing is not promised for everybody this side of Christ's return as a result of Christ's atonement. Yeah, that's a twisting of Isaiah 53 and also of uh, Peter's epistle. So uh, we'll take a look at that. Uh, time permitting, we'll do a, a Hillsong update. And, um, I, you know, I if you remember my interview with Holly Pivik, I asked, I asked her, what is wrong with me, man? <laughs> I'm falling apart here. You know, uh, I, I asked Holly Pivik if she um, if she thought that uh, Brian Houston and Hillsong Church were, you know, in the NAR. Personally, I think they are. I, that's my personal opinion. Haven't been able to prove it definitively yet, but this is kind of you know, one of those data points. You sit there and go, hmm, hmm, what's going on here? Have you heard of the ceilings and floors uh, teaching? Yeah, that uh, this idea that generationally, uh, you know, those in Brian Houston's generation are to, you know, what is their um, what is their ceiling is supposed to be, they're supposed to build it in such a way that it becomes the floor for the next generation to kind of springboard off of. And uh, and so we'll, we'll if time permitting, we'll get to the ceilings and floors uh, revelation and uh, we'll note who's teaching it, who's, you know, and uh, we have a video where, you know, somebody will mention it, which I think is fascinating. And then we'll hear Brian Houston teaching that exact same doctrine. Weird. Anyway, and then in hour number two, we're going to head down to C3 Church in Sydney, Australia, as we listen to Phil Pringle, the vision casting leader there, and pioneer, that's code talk for Apostle, um, as he teaches uh, about your best life. Yeah, that's will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable since we're going to begin with a prophetic holy orders network information exchange syndicate update that requires us to do this. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there, when I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are standing in a row. Big one, small one, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Roll a bowl a ball, roll a bowl a ball, singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's 
got a lovely bunch of coconuts. We're heading over to Bethel Church in Redding, California. A little bit of a note here. Um, in my uh, discussion about the NAR with Steve Kozar and Amy Spreeman a few weeks back, um, one of the things we noted is that uh, in the NAR, which Bethel is firmly right smack dab in the middle of, um, yeah, we've demonstrated here at Fighting for the Faith that Bill Johnson is supposedly, uh, well, an apostle within the NAR. And that is one of the vital things that they engage in is spiritual warfare, tearing down demonic strongholds and territories and regions in order to transform, you know, whole cities and things like that. Um, I saw a news report that the uh, Guardian Angels, mm-hmm, yeah, kind of a vigilante type of uh, neighborhood watch system, if you would, has uh, begun operations in the city of Bethel, uh, sorry, the city of Redding, California. And uh, because of the completely out-of-control crime that's going on in Reading. So, you know, the, this is where Bethel's from. So you'd think that if they were tearing down spiritual strongholds and, you know, all this kind of stuff that, you know, Reading would be one of the safest cities in the world to live in. And it's not. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Anyway, so uh, a little bit of a side note. So uh, here is Havala Cunnington from her recent sermon, which she should never be delivering, uh, at, at uh, Bethel Church, where nobody who calls himself a Christian should be going at all. But here we go. Abraham was a, an amazing man. I, I love his story. I think we could teach on his life for about 10 years and probably scratch the surface of what was on his life. But in this, in this passage in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, it says that God took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Yeah, um, there in Genesis 15, to whom is God speaking? Me, you, go with Abraham. Yeah, God's talking to Abraham. God takes Abram and Abram is tired. He's burned out. He's been traveling. God took him from his home told him to venture to his promised land. And Abram is done. He's been sitting there. He's been trying to figure out this dream. He wants kids. This is a generation. Listen, historically, this is a time when guys want kids. This is where their legacy. How <laughs> about, uh, uh, where'd you go to seminary? I'm, I'm a little curious. Um, yeah, which organization ordains you? I'm, I'm again. I'm again. I'm just asking because the way you're handling Genesis 15 is just a little bit odd. I I, I seem to um, miss the whole part about Abram being burned out. So let's do a little bit of um, well biblical study here, and that requires us to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are mm-hmm, context, context context. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to go backwards in Genesis. You know, we're not going to be in Genesis 15. We're going to be in Genesis 14. Mm -hmm. See if we can figure out what's going on there and see if we can find the part of this passage that talks about Abraham's burnout and, you know, and things like that. So Genesis 14... um, 
I'm going to start with verse 8. The king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and they joined battle in the valley of Sidim with Kedalatomer, the king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyim, uh, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, the king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of bitumen pits as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell into them, and the rest fled into the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and they went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, in, in the Amorite, uh, uh, brother of Eshcol and of Aner. These were the allies of Abraham. And when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. After his return from the defeat of Ketelatomer, the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. By the way, read the book of Hebrews on this, and you're going to find out this is a theophany. Yeah, Jesus is, um, well, our priest in the order of Melchizedek. And he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Abraham gave a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to Yahweh, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal or a strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre take their share. So that's 14. Chapter 15, after these things, the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham Abram said, Oh, Yahweh, God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, The word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, for your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. Number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed Yahweh, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Hmm. And then he said to him, I am Yahweh, who brought you out out from Ur of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought all of these and cut them in half, laid them each each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down 
on the carcasses Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. They will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, Yahweh made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So there's um, like half of 14 and all of 15. I didn't see anything about Abram being burned out. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's as if, as if Havilah is totally ignorant about what the text actually says, which is weird because, I mean... Don't you think if you're going to, like, you know, preach that maybe what you should do is, like, open a biblical text and, you know, maybe read it out ahead of time, you know, as you're teaching? I mean, why wing it when you can actually teach it accurately just by working your way through a biblical text with it open in front of you, you know, in a pulpit? But Havilah is a woman, which means she shouldn't be doing what it is that she's doing. So uh, let's return now to Havilah as she tries to teach the people of Bethel there in Redding, California. It's lived on. This is where their name gets that gets passed on. And Abram so desperately wants this. And I could just imagine, have you ever wanted a dream so bad in your heart and it feels like you're going the exact opposite of what God's put within you? Come on. Um, what? Um, this text has nothing to do with God putting a dream in my heart or your heart or whatever. So notice she's engaging in narcissism, yeah, narcissistically eisegeting the text and making it about you when it's not. Um, there is a, by the way, there is a connection to us in this text, and that connection is found in Romans chapter four. Romans chapter four, talking about salvation by grace through faith and not by works of the law says this, verse 1, What shall we say then was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? If Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works of the law. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Uh huh. So this, you know, this text, uh, Genesis 15, is cross-referenced in Romans 4, and it's cross-referenced in this way that we also trust God and it is credited to us as righteousness in the same way that Abram trusts God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But trust him for what is the question? Is it trusting him for some, you know, to fulfill some dream he's laid on your heart? No, it's salvation. 
Uh-huh. Romans 3.21, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets, they bear witness to it. The righteousness of God that is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as an atoning sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the former sins, and it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the one who justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. So the thing we're trusting God for is not that he's going to fulfill some promise he's laid on our heart. That's not the point of Genesis 15. Instead, the promise that God has given us is found in the written word of God, And the promise is of our salvation, that our sins are forgiven, that our lawless deeds have been atoned for. That's the promise that is pointed to in Romans 4 in reference to um, Genesis 15. And Havilah is like totally making stuff up here. And she's off-roading theologically, which you don't want to do. And there's all kinds of cliffs and valleys and quicksand and, you know, dragons and things like that, you know, what she's doing is very dangerous. And it's, it's clear that she's already in, well, great theological danger. Welcome to being human, right? Have you ever been to a place where you feel like God's saying this over your life and all of a sudden it's like, you're getting older, you're getting more tired. Come on. You're getting more you know, busy, you're, you're trying to figure out why this isn't coming to pass and what's happening. And Abram's getting older. His wife is getting older. Come on. She can't, she's, they've done everything they know how he has known her and known her and known her. (laughs) And now God takes him out to this field and Abram lays. I could just imagine, like, you guys have been in writing these beautiful stars. Anybody get away from the and light? so now she's going to engage in imagination, Jesus. You know, you just use your imagination. You know? And you lay out. Our boys like to do this. They'll be like, let's go look at the stars. And you lay out on the lawn. I could imagine Abram laying out. There's no city lights. There's no cities at this point fully. And he's laying out there like the city lights. And he sees all these stars. And God says to him, you know how you think you're getting far away from it? You're getting closer to it. And what you think is impossible is actually something I've been working on for a long time. And what's interesting about this is that when Abram saw the stars, he saw his kids. But when God laid, and I could just imagine God laying under those stars with Abram, God didn't just see his kids. God saw his own kids. He saw. Yeah, that, that's cute and sentimental. Um, did you get this from the Precious Moments Bible? You know, God's sitting there under the stars. With, yeah, uh, this, yeah, all up based on her imagination. Us. And so let me tell you something. Your dream is always linked to the big dream. Your dreams will always be... My dreams are always linked to the big dream. What's the big dream again? To God's dream for the earth and what God wants to do. And when you see, oh, a book I want to write, or when you see a mission field I want to reach, or when you see I want to raise these kids to change the world, or I want to sing this song or write this song, and it's a dream, and God goes, I love it. I want you to do it. I want you to walk in it. But God's not looking at you as a minor Christian celebrity thinking one day you can be awesome. He's saying, within you holds all of my kids. Within you holds. Uh. 
what? Within me holds all of God's kids? Are you out of your mind? My entire generations that are going to know me because you believed God when no one believed God, because you hoped when no one hoped, because you had to stick it out and do the hard things when nobody wanted to do it, but you did it. You fought for it. You believed for it when you didn't have the money, when you didn't have the healing, when you didn't have the relationship, when you were the 15th. Yeah, this is not what um, Genesis 15 is about at all. It's not about me. No. This is about what God is doing in human history because who is the seed of Abraham to whom all of the promises point to? Jesus. Uh huh. You see, we're following the line of the Messiah in the Old Testament, and Abraham is a pinnacle person in Jesus' genealogy. But all of this is pointing to Christ and pointing to his work and God's promise of the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Uh-huh. It's, it's all about that. It's about him. And by making this about me, you're turning me into the Messiah, which I most certainly am not. Um, I am not an anointed one. I am not a Christos. Um, yeah, but the way you're talking, by making me the one that this is all pointing to, you're turning me into the promised one, and I'm not. And that's the danger of this type of approach, of a narcissistic reading of Scripture, is that it ends up, no joke, um, you know, putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable by putting it on you, and it turns you into a false Christ. The 15th bridesmaid in a wedding. Come on. When you believed... I was working it out on your behalf. You see, I want you to know God is more invested in your dream than you are because you're... Um, God is more invested in my dream. Uh, Genesis 15 doesn't talk about that at all. Where'd you get that? Dream holds his dreams. Oh, so my dream holds his dreams. Wrong again. Your dreams hold God's dreams. And he's... Yeah, no biblical text says this. You're filling these people's heads with utter nonsense, which means your heart and your mind is just full of narcissistic nonsense, too. You have no clue how to rightly handle God's word. Yeah, if you did, then you wouldn't be preaching at all. And the fact that you're standing up and preaching as a woman when God's word forbids this also proves that there's something wrong here. This is wrong on so many levels. Working it out and he's saying yes and amen to what's on your life. You see, your life is very, very important to God. I know this sounds... Oh, yeah, right, yeah. I, I don't know how God made it this far without me. <laughs> oh, man. Somewhat basic, but we just forget all this stuff. We somehow think that because someone is this way or that way, or they have that or they are that, then God must think they're more important. And I'm saying we are all equal to God. Our value to God is the same. Yeah, the fact that we are equal in God's sight does not <laughs> does not help you in this sense because that does has nothing to do with the fact that you've totally twisted Genesis 15 and really talked about me being the bee's knees and the important person when I'm not even there. My kid Grayson said today he was mad and you know I'm working with him and he said. Uh, 
He said, mom, I'm just mad because, because I'm your favorite. And so I looked at him and I was trying to humble him. And I said, Grayson, you're not, you're not actually mommy's favorite. And he goes, well, then I'm mad because you tricked me. And I was like, I can't win. I don't know. You're going to have to go talk to your dad about that. Uh, yeah, you, you kind of get the point. Um, wow. So that's the kind of theology you're going to get at Bethel Church Red in California. We've covered a lot of really bad theological spewage. Um, yeah, it's, you might want to get the uh, the hazard hazmat suits and things like that. I mean, that is a full blown heretical leak going on there. And if you don't contain it, that could you know get out and impact literally hundreds of thousands of people. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we got Billy Brim. Apparently, direct revelation from God telling her it's okay for her to preach, even though God's Word says no. And then we'll go back and listen to Kenneth Hagin. Uh, twist God's word regarding healing. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theatre presents Church Day Select. God's word I put on shows that do better on Broadway. Have you seen The Lion King? It'll be here on Sunday. It twists God's word and puts on shows that do better on Broadway. Have you seen The Lion King? It'll be here on Sunday. He's a heretic and he's okay. He's keep all night and he lies all day. God's word, I take your tithe and spend it on private jets. Have you seen my bank account? It's bigger than yours, I'll bet. He twists God's word, he takes your tithe and spends it on private jets. Have you seen his bank account? It's bigger than yours, I'll bet. He's a heretic and he's okay. He's all night and he's all day. With God's word, I write bad books that will land you all in hell. I'll never say I'm sorry, cause I'll be there as well. 
He twists God's word, he writes bad books that will land us all in hell. Ah, oh, This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that nowhere in the Bible does it teach that God has some dream destiny that he's going to put on your heart. The reason for that is because the Bible doesn't teach that. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our Two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. It's a monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey. Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. Master Gunner, $49.95 a month. Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us, by the way. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to... Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support, because we truly, honestly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along, we're still under prophetic holy orders, so let's do this. Hallelujah. Get up right now. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's right. Robert Tilton's Hubabaconda. And uh, we're heading over again <laughs> to the uh, <clears throat> television studios of uh, It's Supernatural. And we're going to be listening to uh, Billy Brim, who, well, she studied under Kenneth Hagen, worked for Kenneth Hagen's ministry. And she's going to talk about that with Sid Roth. And we're going to note what God's Word says, because remember, it says in Scripture of Scripture, you can find this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that all Scripture is God-breathed. Yep, it's God-breathed. And if it's God's breathe, that means, well, God the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired it. And that being the case, God doesn't lie. And so what he's written, he's had written in his, you know, in the written word of God, that's from God. And so the question is, why would God, the Holy Spirit, stutter and then contradict himself by telling Billy Brim via a direct revelation the exact opposite of what it is he had the Apostle Paul write for us in Scripture. That doesn't make any sense at all, unless, of course, Billy Brim isn't hearing from God the Holy Spirit. And I think that's going to be the thing that's going to stand out. So without any further ado, here's Sid Roth to introduce his guest for this episode of It's Supernatural, Billy Brim. Here we go. Welcome, welcome to my world, where it's naturally supernatural. We've been had. We've been robbed. It's been stolen from us. If you only knew the power of the blood of Jesus, if you only knew how much power you have. How much power I have? Power. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I thought Christ's blood forgives me, atones for me, redeems me, you know, things like that. But power? Is, is it some kind of like special magical substance that gives me the ability to perform magic? I mean, what are you talking about? Let me tell you something. The greatest revival to ever hit America and parts of the world, Azusa Street Revival... Yeah, that's not, that wasn't an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Sorry. They knew the power behind the blood of Jesus, and you're about ready to know it. Do you want to? Yeah, how are you using that word, power? It's just weird. Now, I understand there's, you know, songs, there's power in the blood, but to do what exactly? Uh-huh. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Yeah, I mean, if I talk about power in that sense, yeah. There's power, power, cleansing, sin cleansing power. You know, things like that. We can talk about it in that sense. But what are you talking about? Well, uh, Billy, I met you many years ago. I went to a Kenneth Hagen meeting, and I just happened to see. Yeah, Kenneth Hagen, the, uh, the former Dark Lord of the Sith. And, uh, yeah, I say former because, you know, he's now gone on to his reward. <clears throat> and uh, the guy was just as phony as a $3 bill and uh, had some very serpentine habits, which is very fascinating. We're going to cover him a little bit in the next segment. 
Um, but yeah, no, Hagen is, uh, is, he's got diseased fruit. He's got diseased teaching. You want to avoid this guy like the plague. Next to you. How many years ago was that? It had to be 30 or 35, Sid. I, I was thinking about it. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Now, here's the story on Billy. She was an editor for a decade for, uh, Dr. Kenneth Hagen Sr. So she <clears throat> edited, she's partly responsible for all of his heretical books. Got it. And she was working on a book. I think it was called The Woman Question. She read the book and found out, huh, a woman can be in ministry. I knew I was called to preach from three years old. Uh, what? H- how is that possible? I'd been brought up in a denomination that said women could not preach. Um, that's because God's word says that. In other words, you were raised in a denomination that actually believed the Bible and believed the word of God. Let's take a look at our texts here. Important texts are 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'll note something here uh, at the tail end of this part of uh, 1 Corinthians 14. But let me read, starting halfway through verse 33. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. They are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. It is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, the speaking here is not, you know, saying, say, like, hello, how are you doing, or things like that. This is a particular type of speaking, and the cross-reference will help us. But I want you to note this. And verse 36 then says, Or was it from you that the word of God came, or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Yeah, in fact, the the command to for women to be silent in the churches is a command that goes all the way up the chain of command to the highest throne in heaven above. Uh-huh. All the way up to Christ himself. Yeah, it's a command from the Lord. Now, our cross-reference is going to help us out as far as understanding what kind of speaking is forbidden. And um, and here's what it says in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, Starting at verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. That's the kind of thing that is not permitted. So preaching to men, teaching men by a woman, forbidden by God's word. Why is it because Paul is a uh, is the original founder of the He-Man Woman Haters Club? No, no, here's what. The Holy Spirit said through Paul, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. It's a creation order issue. It's also an issue regarding the fall. And this is a command from the Lord. So notice Billy Brim on It's Supernatural is there to talk about, oh, her supernatural encounter while she was the book editor for Kenneth Hagen. And there she learned. She can preach and teach men. No, God the Holy Spirit who inspired the Apostle Paul. And we know from 1 Corinthians 14 that what he said was a command from the Lord himself, in case you were unclear about this. Yeah, this what you're saying is false, Billy. 
tell you, should tell you something about Kenneth Hagin's ministry. And so then when I went to work for Brother Hagin, actually I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit through his ministry. And then Ken- um, Yeah, that's silly. Uh, the Bible doesn't teach a second baptism. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Yeah, so the, the second baptism of the Holy Spirit, not taught in Scripture. Work for him. Uh, my first book that I did was The Woman Question. <laughs> and one day, I was sitting in this room, and I was typing it, and a presence came into the room. I don't know if it was an angel or if it was Jesus. Uh, so a presence came in the room. Well, there, we say, well, there you go. It's got to be Jesus, so we can just ignore the written Word of God, right? Wrong. Yeah, and the reason I say this is that Scripture is very clear about this point. Let me give you another text, Galatians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul, writing to the churches in Galatia, a very sharp rebuke, says this at verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, and so we say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. In other words, claims of of like entities entering the room, angelic or otherwise, and therefore that's being the source of revelation um, even if an angel were to appear to you and say, I have heard from God himself, and he wants you, woman, to be a preacher and a pastor, you are to say, you are a lying angel. You were not sent from God. You are from the devil, because what you're saying contradicts with the Holy Spirit and what the Lord has commanded in his written word. It was a presence of the Lord, because I bent over my typewriter and I cried. And I said, oh, Lord, do you mean I can answer the call on my life and not get in trouble at the judgment seat of God? Uh, <laughs> no, you would be in trouble with the, at the judgment seat of God because you're listening to lying spirits rather than the written word of God. That's always been what I was afraid of. And then this voice says to me, this presence, really, yes, and one day you will leave here. But now this is your Bible school. You don't know anything. And I'd been born again 20 years. I was 28 years old. But I didn't know enough. I needed to go to that Bible school and sit under Brother Hagin. And uh, then when it came, 10 years later, the Lord talked to both Brother Hagin and to me about my going out into full-time ministry. And Brother Hagin ordained me. Yeah, so Brother Hagin ordained you. The Lord talked to him directly and talked to you directly and just totally circumvented his written word and contradicted his written word, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you something contrary to Scripture. You don't believe it. That's right. If an angel appears today at your work, in your office, at your bedside, and, and tells you something contrary to the written word of God, you know with absolute certainty that angel didn't come to you via God. It's coming to you and sent by the devil himself. Now, talking about Kenneth Hagin, we'll just kind of transition at this point. Uh, talking about Kenneth Hagin, um, here is um, uh, Kenny, Kenneth Hagin you know, kind of inciting holy laughter. And Ken Copeland is in the audience in this particular um, preaching by Kenneth Hagin. And 
we'll just let the nonsense kind of roll off of him and you can see what's hear what's going on and then he'll get into a teaching where he twists God's word regarding healing being part of the atonement here's Kenneth Hagin and the weird mayhem that follows you wouldn't believe it <laughs> not even in the natural how much more in the spiritual get thrilled that's when God's word works for you that's when it works for you when you get thrilled with it uh, so God's word works for you when you get thrilled with it uh huh glory to God just can't be still just can't be still. I just can't be still. And now there's people literally hooping, hollering, running up and down the aisles, jumping up and down. It's total pandemonium there. Just can't be still. I just can't be still. Well, yeah, that wasn't a demonic cackle at all, was it? Yeah, that's that weird blowing thing he used to do. He go, <laughs> yeah, and and then he would his tongue would come out of his mouth and you know kind of like a snake's tongue. It's the weirdest serpentine thing I've ever seen. Be seated. Be seated. Ken, you and Craig come over and lay hands on those handkerchiefs, the claws. Amen. Point your hand out toward these handkerchiefs or claws. They're laid up there for somebody that's sick. Father's hands are laid upon these claws. We believe you to work special miracles like you did by the hand. Ah, so the sacramental hankies are now uh, being blessed so that they can go out to heal the sick and stuff. Paul. So that from his body they was brought under the sick handkerchief or aprons. The diseases departed from them. The evil spirits went out of them. Now as they lay hands upon these claws, the anointing, the healing anointing, flows into these claws and saturates them. And as they're laid on the body of the sick, that power will be transmitted unto the body or bodies. The disease or diseases will depart from them. The evil spirits will go out of them. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now then, earlier when we began, we uh, quoted... Isaiah 53, 5. Surely he has borne our sicknesses, carried our diseases, as, as, as Matthew quotes it in Matthew 8, 17. Literally said, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was born. With his stripes we are are healed. Matthew 8, 17. Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. First Peter two twenty four, who his own body on no tree bore our sins, 
that we might live unto righteousness. By whose stripes ye were. See, Peter's looking back. If we were, then I was. And if I was, I am. Yeah, he's engaging in some semantic grammatical nonsense. I'm glad that he quoted 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Because when we put it back in context, you'll see what it is that Peter's referring to. Um, so to do that, we're going to go 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it and you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. 1 Peter 2 explicitly teaches the importance of, well, patience in our sufferings. And note that we are suffering along with Christ. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. What type of healing is this referring to? For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Yeah, that's right. And now I'm going to note here that what Peter is doing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is taking Isaiah 53 verse 5 and really kind of, if you would, interpreting it for us with a spirit's in, with the Holy Spirit's interpretation. So let me read Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We are healed, present tense. So let me read it now from 1 Peter. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. In other words, 1 Peter chapter 2, if you're paying attention to it, is not teaching us that we have healing, physical healing in Christ's substitutionary atonement, atonement, his death on the cross. It's not what he's talking about. The healing he's talking about is the healing of our souls, the healing of our relationship with God through the forgiveness of our sins, the healing that comes in our relationship and breach with God because of our sin. That's what it's referring to. It's not talking about physical healing. The context makes that oh so clear. In other words, what uh, Kenneth Hagin is doing here is engaging in a grammatical fast one. In Oklahoma, dear little lady in a chair. Now, I ministered each night with the anointing. That's one way to minister. But the so anointing- he said he ministered each night with the anointing. Do you know what the Greek word for anointing is? Christos. Uh-huh. Kenneth Hagin is a false 
Christ. He is one of the ones that Jesus warned us about in Matthew chapter 24, that in the last days there would be false Christs, false anointed ones. That's what he was referring to. And false prophets. Hagen is that in spades. And they lifted. Well, I'm not going to lie to people. See, you don't carry it around your hip pocket like you do your wallet. It is as the Spirit wills. The anointing lifted from me. So I just simply... So the anointing lifted from you. Uh-huh. And I hadn't completed the healing line. I said, said, said the anointing's gone. I'm not going to lie to you. I could pray with you in faith, but any Christian can do that. If you can't come back, you come on, I'll pray with you. Well, this dear woman, they carried her because she couldn't walk. And she can't come back. And so I said to her, uh, did you know Jesus has healed you? She looked at me, saw the start. I said, you can see she's still sitting there crippled, you know. Said, oh, has he? I said, yeah, I'll prove it to you by the word. I got my Bible, laid it on her lap, had her to read 1 Peter 2.24 several times. Then I said, may I ask you a question? She said, yeah. I said, now, is were past tense, future tense, or present tense? See, no anointing, anointing already lifted me. Just talk- yeah, it is past tense. The question is, what is the healing it's talking about? Physical? No. Nope, not at all. People like, you know. And so she, she looked, I mean, you could see it. Her eyes lit up. Her face lit up. Why, she said, if we were healed, I was. But now then I'm standing right here looking at her. I can see the devil's coming back to her mind. Now let's take a look at a cross-reference here. Yeah, all scripture is God-breathed. So let's take a look what, well, the Holy Spirit caused the half-brother of Jesus to pen in his epistle. James chapter 5, starting at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it may not rain. And three years and six days it did not rain on the earth. And yet then he prayed again, and heaven gave it rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So notice we're to pray in faith, believing that God hears us, but it doesn't promise us, well, healing. Notice that James didn't say, if anyone is among you sick, well, just remember, by his stripes, we are, we were healed. So you need to, uh, you need to just, you know, do your thing and understand that. And then 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, are uh, you aware that uh, young Pastor Timothy had, well, he had a, a stomach ailment. Yeah, it's true. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23 in particular notes that. And uh, here's what it says. No longer drink only water. Use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments, Paul writes, young Pastor Timothy. Mm. 
Yeah, notice that. Notice that the Apostle Paul didn't say, Timothy, why are you having stomach ailments? By his stripes, we were healed. Don't you, didn't you read First Peter? We were healed. That means you, you, you have already been healed. You need to claim your, you need to believe, use your faith to grab your healing. Didn't do that at all. Right. By the way, um, is Timothy alive today? Nope. Is Kenneth Hagen alive today? Hmm. Nope. Um, well, I, apparently, um, he wasn't able to use his faith to claim his healing to keep him from dying. Now, why, by the way, this next part, uh, Kenneth Hagen is literally looking Kenneth Copeland in the eye. A very young Ken Copeland is there while Ken Hagen is teaching this. You see the expression of faith change. The devil's trying to tell her, well, if you was healed, how come you're still sitting near crippled? So to keep her out of the mental realm and keep her in... See, if I can hold people in the spirit realm, I can get them healed every time. I mean, a hundred times out of a hundred. If you can hold them in the spirit realm? What? Because healing is spiritual. So to keep her out of the mental realm, I got to tell you, I said, real, real quick, I said, Sister, will you do what I tell you? Well, she said, I will if it's easy. I said, the easiest thing you ever did in your life. Lift up both hands and start praising God because you are healed. Not going to be are. Uh-huh. So raise your hand and praise God because you are healed. In other words, deny reality. Don't humbly pray in faith. Don't call for the elders. <laughs> no. Just start praising. I thank you. I am already healed. This is the word of faith heresy, and it twists God's word and promises something for everybody in Christ's atonement that is not promised. Now, by the way, when will we be restored physically? What what does Scripture promise all believers? Mm -hmm. That we will be raised from the dead. So if you're going to talk about total healing, total restoration, does that happen here and now in this cursed creation? Nope, and it's not promised here and now. Christ promises to be with us all the way until we pass through the valley of the shadow of death. He does not promise to take us around it. We continue. Wish you could have seen it. She began to smile. Oh, Lord, she said, I'm so glad I'm not crippled anymore. You know how tired I got, she said, sitting around those four years helpless. Oh, I'm so glad I don't have to be waited on anymore. She's still sitting there. Ain't got, you know, still crippled. Oh, I'm so glad my knees are healed. My legs are healed. Oh, I said, this all praise God with it because she is healed. We all praise God. Then I turned around. She sat down and pointed to her and said, now my sister arise and walk in Jesus' name. She leaped up and danced and danced and leaped and all over the front of the church. And some yeah, I'd, I'd like to know her name. Can we check her medical records? Are they still available? Or is she dead also like you are, Kenneth Hagen? They went off and told a lie on me. They said that fellow Hagen healed a woman, crippled woman down there last night. Never did any such a thing. Jesus healed her 2,000 years ago. She just found out about it. Now... That's the best way to be healed. I said, that's the best way to be healed. Do you know himself took your infirmities and bear your sicknesses? Do you need healing in your body? 
Are you ready to declare, bless God? You don't have to have, you can't have hands laid on you, but that's lesser faith. Yeah, notice what he just said. You can have hands laid on you, but that's lesser faith. Why did James, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, recommend something that is lesser faith? And then talk about the importance of faith. Yet notice what Ken Hagen just did is he just contradicted the Apostle James. Straight up. James wrote scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let's meet God up here on a little higher faith. Yes, sir. Oh, so Hagen has higher faith. Even higher than what James told us to do. Yeah. Yes, sir. Amen. Say that now, by whose stripes we were healed. If we were healed, I was healed. Did you hear Ken Copeland right there? You can hear Copeland. I was healed. I am healed. I am healed. I am healed. Yeah, get thrilled with it because that's how you activate it. You get thrilled with it, and then he's going, and his tongue is coming out of his mouth like a snake. Now, if you believe I am healed, stand up. Yeah, wow. Fascinating twisting of God's word. I, I think the guy's literally demonically possessed. That's how serious I think it was with him. And uh, I think whatever demons were afflicting Ken Hagen, they clearly have uh, taken up residence with Ken Copeland. That's just the best way I could put it. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. Heading down to C3 Church in Sydney, Australia. Bill Pringle uh, teaching us about how to have our best life. Yeah, stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents... Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. 
Oi, Captain, we got ourselves a heretic. (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. A little bit more word of faith, this time going down under. But let's do this right. the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to to us via c3 church sydney australia vision casting leader pioneer apostle phil pringle presiding yeah i use that word on purpose because i think he absolutely is that within the nar we're going to hear a Word of Faith Heresy sermon titled Prophecy. This is from Your Best Life television program with Bill Pringle. In fact, let me go ahead and back off on the music, and we will get right to it without any further ado. Here's Phil Pringle and his sermon titled Prophecy. Here we go. In this quest for looking for something that could begin the year, I thought like Chris and I were talking one morning, she was getting engrossed in the scripture herself. And even this morning, read it out of the message to me uh, when we were uh, just... Read it out of the message? Yeah, the the message is a heraphrase. Yeah, heraphrase. Yeah, heretical paraphrase. That's one of our new words here at Fighting for the Faith. Ready. In John 1 verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. So the first point that we need to understand here is that in the beginning of anything is a word. And not just our word, but the word. Whoa! 
Yeah, John 1.1 is about Jesus. It is not about at the beginning of anything there's a word. That is total straight up word of faith heresy. Yeah, John 1.1 is pointing us to Christ, not some principle about how our words create the beginnings of things. Yeah, in the beginning, anarche and halagas, kaialagas and prostontheon. Yeah, kaitheos and halagas. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Yeah, no, um, this is not teaching some principle about your words create the beginnings of things. He has totally taken a passage that points us to Jesus and twisted it into some kind of a passage that supposedly teaches us that our words create the beginnings of something. No, it does not. And that word is not just a word. It's actually a he. It says he was in the beginning with God. So the word is a person. And every time you cast your eyes on scripture, you're looking at a person. And the person is Jesus himself. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I find I've got to work on keeping certain fires alive on the inside of my heart. Uh, you You can get your fire put out by a wide range of things. And it's yeah, we just heard Kenneth Hagin talking about that same doctrine. Weird how much he has in common with Kenneth Hagin. It's important, very important. Whenever I come to church, I think, oh, Lord, never, never let us just become church holding services. Where people think that by attending a service, that's it, the fulfillment of all their religious duties for like the week and whatever. And that we're just going through a liturgy and we're, and we're all dead. And God, I do. Yeah, I wouldn't want to go through a liturgy. That would, that would kill you. Yeah, your, your faith would just, just wither up and die. Not. I pray with all my heart that that could never actually happen. That we would not become just religious people. By any sense of the matter, but we would be here because of a passion, here because of a fire. Something got lit on the inside of me 40 years ago and it's not gone out, but there are times when it seems to burn low in areas. And if I was to ask you right now, write down what you're on fire about, would there be anything on the piece of paper? Would you say, yeah, I'm on fire about this? Because I asked myself that. What am I on fire about? Are you on fire enough? Is there enough fire? Are, you know, yeah, notice now he's turning this into a law. So immediately you're looking on the inside going, well, am I fired up enough? Do I have enough that I could please God with? Yeah, this is bad law because it's not biblical law. What should I be on fire about that I'm not on fire about that I need to stir the fire? You know, uh, and you need reminders. Like every morning I... I eat uh, porridge. I don't know. Once, years ago, I read how that oats, the superfood, low GI, low calorie, high energy, slow burning, keep you going until lunchtime so you're not going to feel hungry about anything else and, you know, even help you in your workout, high protein. That's why I got the body like, you know. <laughs> I know you wondered why. It's porridge in the morning. Some of you think, well, that's why I'm definitely not going to eat it. Uh, but, you know, are you going holidays? And you kind of drift a little. Your fire for porridge burns low and it's not easy. I mean, it's not hard to lose the fire for porridge, honestly. It's the most boring thing in the earth, you know. 
I don't mean you're spicing it up with treacle and brown sugar and cream. No, you don't do that. You know, but you ask for it in a hotel. That's what they do. They think oh, it's too boring on its own. But that's how you got to eat it. It's boring. Salt, maybe. A bit of yogurt. That's it. So, so I, and, 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 and you think, this is doing me good. This is doing me good. And you, and you, and you feel better because of it. You do. But then you go on holiday and, you know, you just sneak a bit of toast. And because you're, you're from New Zealand, you have butter like I have. I have a slab of butter on my toast. My children have always asked me, are you having toast with that butter? And uh, it's like I have butter and then I put the, put the honey all over. Uh, you know, it's hot. And you eat one and you got the coffee. My God, I think I've died and gone to heaven. And, I, and, 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 and then you just get completely seduced. And you're backslidden. I want you to get back to the word. Amen. I'd like you to get the fire back for the Bible. For the... Yeah, if anyone gets any fire for the Bible, the first place they've got to leave is C3 Church in Sydney, Australia. So if you're feeding yourself with stuff that's going to burn and burn and burn on the inside of you, cleanse you, feed you, and get you going. In the beginning was the Word. Not just a Word, but the Word, the Word of God. And this Word is Jesus Himself. God spoke Christ into creation before anything else. Uh, what? God spoke Christ into creation. That's the Arian heresy. No joke. That, that's the Arian heresy. Wow. That's amazingly bad. So that all things were made through him, for him, by him, and to him. Christ is at the center of all of creation. And he is the word that sustains all things. That is why all of creation is so beautiful, so wonderful, so magnificent. Because when you look at it, it's a universal language. Everybody stands in awe at mountains that rise into the sky, oceans that roar, at rivers that gurgle, at animals and creatures and beasts. Everywhere they're, they're a manifestation of the glory and the beauty of God of Jesus himself. He got into creation right at the beginning. And you will find that at the beginning of every miracle, at the beginning of every great event in your life, there is a word. Uh Yeah, no, wrong, Ah, that's not what this is teaching. Words that come from God into our hearts. If I was to say to you, what's the word of God for this year? That's my second question this morning. First one is, what are you on fire about? The second one, is what's your word for the year? Have you, have you heard it? Because God has a word for you. He has something to speak into your world. Uh, no, that's not what John 1 is teaching at all. Nowhere in Scripture does it teach this doctrine, especially John 1. It may not be like an audible voice. Very rarely is going to be. For most of us, 99% of us don't hear it like that. We just feel a, a drawing. We have a hankering. We have a, a knowing. We have, it's not like it's crystal clear words just popping into our head and, or a, a long, a desire, a, a dream starts to form in our heart. It says no biblical text anywhere. You give it time and pray on it. It becomes more clear and goals start to form. If you had a word from God, what would it be about this coming year? Because he will speak into your life. 
In Acts 20 verse 32, it says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So as long as we remain amongst all those who are sanctified, the church, and we're feeding on this word, you will find that that will release into you the ability to take what is yours, your inheritance. Wrong. Wrong. You are totally mangling the Apostle Paul's words in Acts chapter 20. He is not saying that as long as you stay in the word, that that will empower you, enable you to take what is yours. That is not what this text is saying. This is straight up word of faith heresy. In fact, it engages in eisegesis. God has an inheritance for you in this life. You don't want to get to heaven and find there's a whole warehouse full of provisions that were meant for you. A whole warehouse. Oh, no, a whole warehouse of provisions that were meant for me that are just sitting there languishing in, in heaven. No biblical text teaches this either. A whole house full of things and events and opportunities that were meant for you. But because we got distracted... And you will find there are a thousand things that will try and contest your attention on the Bible prayer. Right. Yeah, top of the list right now, Phil Pringle is one of those demonic, de- devilish things designed to distract us from God's word. And going to church. 1 Corinthians 14, 31. Check this out. I don't know if you've ever read this verse before. You can all prophesy. Everybody say that. You can all, you can all. prophesy. I know we think that prophet... Um, yeah, let's do a little cross-reference work here. Does God's word teach that all can prophesy? Nope, it does not. Let's take a look at the clear passage first. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 29. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Now you're thinking, well, my Bible doesn't have the word no in it. Well, yeah, it's there in the Greek, by the way. Untranslated particle may means the question being asked is to be understood as being answered in the negative. May pontas apostoloi, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. In fact, the whole point of 1 Corinthians 12 is that God the Holy Spirit gives all kinds of gifts differing gifts, and that we together are the body of Christ, and there are different gifts given for different people to serve different functions within the body of Christ, straight up. And this is one of the false teachings of the, you know, of the charismatic and Pentecostal movements that all receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that all can prophesy. Scripture does not teach that at all. You know, it does not you know, make it so that everybody receives the same gifts. In fact, the whole point of 1 Corinthians 12 is that everybody receives different gifts. That's why not all are apostles, not all are prophets. Now, let's take a look at what's going on in 1 Corinthians 14. Here, Phil Pringle makes it sound like all can prophesy. No, that's not what it says. Okay, here's what it says. We'll do this in context uh, verse 29, 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Let two or three prophets speak, let the others weigh what is said. For revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. Uh-huh. 
It doesn't say all can prophesy. It says two or at the most three. All right. That's what it's saying. And then we, you, you all can prophesy one, you know, one by one. That's his point. He just twisted God's word. Uh, wow. Again, this is a, egregious. Is reserved for prophets and people who are the super saints of Christendom or whatever. But here Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, you can all prophesy. No, he's not. When you put it back in context, he says two or three. You can all prophesy one at a time is his point. Every single one of us. Jesus said, say to this mountain, be removed. He says, pray. No, he did not. That, uh, that, no, he didn't. He said, if you say to this mountain. And say, the two go together. It's not just about praying. It's about prophesying and speaking it into your world. Okay, you just te- took Jesus out of context and made him teach something he didn't teach. Wow, this is blow-your-mind-crazy bad word-of-faith heresy stuff going on here. In 14 verse 3, 1 Corinthians 43, it says, He who prophesies speaks edification or building up the house, exhortation, encouragement, and comfort to men. He who speaks in the tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. You and I should put our tongue on the altar this year. Separate it to the purpose of building the house of God. What are you going to speak this year? In the beginning was the word. The beginning of a bad thing is a bad word. The beginning of a good thing is a good word. And if you are a preacher, a prophesier of good news, that is what you're going to bring into your life. A, a preacher or a prophesier of good, word, uh, good news the good news is the good news that Christ died for our sins. Notice now he's saying prophesy or a preacher of good news is the one who uses good words to create good things in, in the reality of his life. This is straight up the word of faith heresy. This is unbelievable. The life of our church all around us. Let's be those who are prophesying to build up the house of God. All right. Colossians 1.17, the Holman Bible says, He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. Notice, every passage out of context, this is the rip it out of context, string it together like pearls on a string way of proof texting. He's not exegeting any text. We spoke about Jesus being before all things. And this is the Word. It's talking about Him being the Word. By Him all things consist or hold together. When your life starts falling apart, it's because the word is not holding you together. What? (laughs) That's taking an analogy or metaphor literally. Oh, man. Wow. The word is what holds your life together. People often, I meet them and they're emotionally falling apart, mentally falling apart relationally falling apart, financially falling apart. Well, you're theologically and doctrinally falling apart right here. Yeah. When your world starts falling apart, you've got to think, the thing that created the world also keeps it together. The same word that brought everything into existence is holding it in existence. Once God withdraws that word, it all falls apart. It collapses. 
What we have spoken into our world is what we have got. And if we keep speaking it. What we've spoken into our world is what we've got. Again, word of faith, heresy. It'll hold it together. If you have been speaking negativity, sickness. Yeah, this assumes you're God, by the way, or that you're a little deity. And tiredness into your body. The way you're going to keep being like that is to keep speaking that. How- right, yeah. See, if you're sick, it's because you, you spoke negativity into your body, right? You could change things today. You could change your way of speaking and say, you know what? Uh, yeah, wrong. Nowhere in Scripture does it say if you change your way of speaking, you'll get different results. This is magic. This is not Christian doctrine. I'm not going to acknowledge how I feel anymore. In Christ, I'm strong. I'm powerful. I have health. I have blessing on my life in Jesus' name. And you will find that you will actually start to hold together under the worst of circumstances, under the most high precious times. Luke 8, 11 says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. All of us in our prayer life have, have a finished result. We have like another verse out of context. He's not exegeting. He's proof texting. That's what I want. I want that tree. I want that finished looking thing. The fact is God doesn't give you the tree. He gives you the seed and the seed is the word of God. Yeah, That's not the purpose of the parable of the sowers and the soils. No. How do you want your marriage? How do you want your family? How do you want your finances? How do you want your business? Don't be just reflecting what's happening back in your words. Start reflecting what the word is saying into your circumstances. And as you start to prophesy and speak in a different way about your world, you will find that it starts to change things. Things will come to pass. You're planning this. Uh huh. So apparently all of us can prophesy. And that means that, you know, and he had to rip a verse, totally mangle it to say this and now you can prophesy and create a a better tomorrow for yourself with your words this is not what scripture teaches in your own heart and in the circumstances around you hebrews 10 verse 23 says we must continue to hold firmly to our declaration of faith yeah and he the author of hebrews is not saying that we decree and declare by faith you know things for our future Prophetically, again, out of context, you are utterly twisting God's word here and showing you are a full-blown heretic. The one who made the promise is faithful. God didn't give you dreams to tease you. He gave you dreams to see them come to pass. Yeah, all right. Now, there's a commercial break there for the Your Best Life with Phil Pringle television program. We will fast forward and get back to the next teaching portion. I, I mean, I am absolutely flabbergasted at the absolute audacity of this man to twist this, to twist the word of God in this egregious way. I can't believe that uh, men like Louis Giglio and others went to his, you know, presence conference when this is the straight up heresy that this man is preaching and teaching that you somehow create your future with your positive prophetic words. Unbelievable. We continue. So I would like you to change your thinking, change your way of speaking. When we prophesy with our mouth, we actually reprogram our head. Says no biblical text anywhere. 
I'm going to ask if there are any uh, programmers here, computer programmers. They used to be known as geeks. Now they're known as billionaires. You know, like... <laughs> but, you know, the, I mean, you might be there looking at your screen, programming, programming, and you know that what you program into the computer is what it's going to bring back to you. What you program into this is what it's going to bring back to you. This doesn't know what is true. Your brain... He's pointing to your brain. So no, it only believes what it's told. What you're being told is extremely important. Jesus said, be careful what you hear. Because you need to have truth coming into your thinking. Uh, no there's no truth coming into the thinking there at uh, C3 Church. This is all flat out twisting of God's word. No truth being taught there. Just any body's thoughts about how the world is meant to run, but truth. And that's why it is imperative to be in the word of God. So you reprogram your thinking by your tongue. Proverbs 30 verse 32 says, if you've thought evil in your mind, put your hand on your mouth. Don't say it. Don't give voice to the negatives in your thinking. Just let's read Proverbs 30, 32 in context in a good translation. Here's what it says. If you have been foolish exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. For pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, pressing anger produces strife. Yeah, when you go back and you put all these verses in context, they don't teach the theology that he's teaching. He's teaching a theology and forcing God's word to support his doctrines. He's not teaching what the Bible teaches. Refrain it because it's having an impact on your world. The Holy Spirit falls on all those things that are the word of God. You will find when you speak the word, God is watching it to fulfill it. He says, I watch over my word to fulfill it. He's not Yeah, apparently his, his, your words are his words. Yeah, that's what I took from that, and that's not what the Bible teaches either. Over our words, he's watching over his word in our mouth so that he can fulfill it. That little tongue, don't think it's insignificant because of its size. Do you know the most dangerous creature on earth? Not the lion, not a hippopotamus, not an alligator, no, mosquito. It kills more people every year than any other creature on earth. Such a tiny thing. You'd think, how could a little thing like that be so dangerous? Don't think your tongue is insignificant. James says in 3 verse 4, look at the ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so the tongue. Your tongue can point your boat your entire huge life in... Notice again, James, out of context. Every verse is out of context. When you go back and look at them in context, they're not teaching this theology. ...direction you want it to go, even though they are driven about by fierce winds. You might find the fiercest of winds are blowing against you today. Winds from every direction. You might have emotional winds, mental winds, Relational winds. Yeah, these are the winds of heresy and false doctrine. Going in your life. But if your tongue stays on course, so will your whole life. 
You will make it through the storm. You'll get to the other side. Yeah, you- apparently it's your tongue that is your savior, not Jesus. Feel the rugged moments. You'll feel the waves. You'll feel the storm. But I'm telling you, keep that tongue under control and you'll get yeah, to- You're telling them, not God other side prophesy to the storm prophesy to your life and you'll find your way through the worst of storms and the darkest of nights in jesus name amen come on help me here no you're hijacking jesus's name you're actually breaking the commandment that says you will take yeah you will not take the name of the lord your god in vain now listen ezekiel is one of the craziest prophets in the old testament he was either filled with the Here we go, out of context. Spirit or on drugs. But I think the things he saw, my God, wheels within wheels. And I'm up for the fact he was filled with the Spirit. But in verse 10 of Ezekiel 37, he says, So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath entered them. Then they came to life. Yeah, Ezekiel 37 in the Valley of the Dry Bones is a prophecy regarding the resurrection. God himself gives us the interpretation. It is not teaching the word of faith heresy. Stood on their feet. There were enough of them to form a very large army. I spoke. I prophesied as he commanded me. That's why I asked you, what would the word be for your life this year? If he's spoken a word into your life, it's not just so that you can have it. It's so that you can speak it. And when you speak it, something will happen. He says, I prophesied as he commanded me. And as soon as... Yeah, again, Ezekiel 37 is not teaching what he's saying. What he just said is absolutely patently false. And Ezekiel 37 has nothing whatsoever to do with this. Did something started to happen. As soon as you start to speak about this coming year with a different kind of language than the way you've spoken about other things in your life. And you say, I'm going to get my mouth born again today. I'm going to... Yeah, this is utter nonsense. No biblical text teaches this, especially Ezekiel 37. Get this tongue converted. That slippery little beast in there is going to come under control. And in Jesus' name, I'm going to speak into my year ahead. You can all prophesy. Understand. No, you cannot all prophesy because Scripture says not all are prophets. Prophesying isn't just the expounding of wishful thinking. It is an effectual powerful way of transforming yourself and your circumstances every says no biblical text anywhere you speak you put a seed into your future and no text says that either grow a tree you're going to grow some of the greatest things this coming year you might be saying what's god got for me he's got for you what is in the word not in the circumstances if you leave it to chance anything could happen But why don't you just today pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and start to speak into your future, speak into your world, and start to rule in life by Christ Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Everybody needs a new day. I thought I'd study the life of a prophet. And so I'm looking at the life of Elijah. Now Elijah, he's... The Bible says he's a guy just like you and I. He's subject to self-pity. He gets depressed. He gets anxious. There are moments when he's full of fear. He's fearless in front of an entire nation and in front of 400 prophets on the top of a mountain, in front of everybody. He's fearless. But 
But then the next day, one woman says, I'm going to get you. So Jezebel is after Elijah. He runs into the wilderness. Now, this is a very long passage of scripture, so I'm not going to read it all. 1 Kings 19. But it says, in verse 4, he says, he went a day's journey in the wilderness, sat down under a tree, prayed that he might die. It's enough. Now I'll take my life. I'm no better than my father. Notice what he said. Uh, it's a long passage. I don't have time to read the whole thing. You would have had plenty of time if you had started with that and started and, and read the whole thing and exegeted it correctly. You're not interested in that, though. You're teaching a theology you made up. He lay and he slept. That's, that's a good first step in recovery, just to get some sleep. And then an angel said, arise and eat. Touched him. He looked there by his head. God had provided him with some food and jar of water. So he ate. And he went back to sleep. Then the angel came back a second time and touched him. Arise and eat. Because the journey is too great for you. I worry for people who do not read the Bible. Who do not spend time in prayer. Yeah, you didn't teach them the Bible. You totally sliced it, diced it, and mangled it. The journey... Before us is too great without that power. Uh, narcissistic eisegesis here. In our lives. If we are trying to achieve a destiny at that level, and our word level, our spiritual life is at this level. Yeah, if your destiny level is way higher than your word level, you better get your word count up you know, so that you can you know, prophesy to make the destiny thingy happen. Right. No biblical text teaches this either. It's going to happen. We need to lift that level of the word of God dominating our thinking and dominating our heart so that we're equal to the responsibilities. So when those anxieties... No text teaches this either. Come, we've got pushback. When the pressure comes, we've got reinforces and we're not overwhelmed and collapsed by the things because we have a, a deposit of the word of God on the inside of us. Paul says to the Colossians, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Yeah, he does that, but you've taken it out of context, and Paul didn't teach your theology either. In all wisdom, let his word get inside of you, and not with there were vacant souls, with just hopeful thoughts and a few prayers inside of us, but we have solid word on the inside of us. Yeah, there's nothing solid about the word you gave. It was like as solid as, you know, a slice of Swiss cheese. The fact is, he comes out, to the mouth of the cave, not because of something dramatic. The dramatic came. There was a wind that broke rocks. There was an earthquake that moved the mountain. There was a fire that burned everything. And we're so addicted to the big and the dramatic. We watched all the movies and, and I think, boy, these people, if they lived their entire life like that, it'd be about three years long because nobody could take that kind of life. We just have this ordinary pedestrian do the same thing day after day after day after day. That's how life isn't always huge and dramatic. The thing that got Elijah to the mouth of the cave was not the dramatic. It was a still, small voice. It was something very quiet, something so subtle, easily missed if you're too noisy on the inside. But he heard this voice and the voice said, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? He wasn't talking about the cave. He's saying, your fears have misplaced you. Your depression has mispositioned you. 
You're meant to be out there. When you Yeah, you do know that God had mercy on Elijah and told him to get his affairs together and brought him home to heaven. Yeah, weird. Say, Lord, this year I'm gonna put myself on that altar of prayer, the Bible. Yeah, you, you go right ahead. Just put yourself on that altar. It ain't going to help anything because this is not actually what Scripture teaches regarding that. House of God, you're going to find fresh fire. Falls on your life. No, this is strange fire, not fresh fire. Meaningfulness and purpose as God gives you a job to do. Sends you on a mission. The Bible is so important to have in your, in your life. You know, the fact is, there's been so many attempts on the Word of God to destroy it. Voltaire, he claimed he would destroy every Bible from the world. The you sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God is now descending on the audience to get them to make decisions. Apparently, the decision God wants you to make is to use your words to prophesy your future into existence, which doesn't make any sense because the Holy Spirit doesn't teach this theology in his written word at all. The room that he made that statement in became the printing press for Geneva Bible Publishing Society. <laughs> Voltaire's gone, the Bible hasn't. It's here for you and I to get in our lives and to start speaking. God will watch over his word to bring it to pass. All right, done. That was... Um... Phil Pringle's sermon prophesy and what a mess that was. Yeah, that's teaching magic and that's just utterly doctrines of demons. Read your Bible and you'll find when you read it cover to cover, no biblical texts actually teach this theology and there's a reason for that because this is a man-made doctrine and Phil Pringle is a false prophet, false apostle, false teacher and somebody who twists and mangles God's word, and nobody who is truly a Christian should ever be listening to him. What do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ as by death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>